Well, good morning, everyone. I am Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. And uh, I don't have three sermons or two sermons on tap for you to pick from because uh, this is the final sermon of that group of sermons that I was allowing you to choose from. And you might remember last week we talked about changing your world through partnership. So today we're going to talk about changing your world through discipleship. And I found it curious for some of you that have been in our church for a little while that discipleship was the one no one picked. It's the one that got left over. And I wonder if maybe that's because, you know, we have different feelings on discipleship. Some good, some not so good. We've had different experiences with it. Uh, but I want to reassure you that discipleship is alive and well, that it is of God, and hopefully today I'm going to help you maybe change your perspective on discipleship just a little bit, and that might just turn into something pretty incredible. So there was a man who went to the doctor, and he found out that he only had 12 hours to live. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's it. 12 hours. So after the shock wore off, he resolved that he was not going to be negative, that he was not going to fall into a big mess. He just figured, I got 12 hours, I've lived a good life, I've had, my kids are grown, my, my, I've had a nice long marriage, everything has been good, I've been so blessed, I am not going to let these 12 hours bum me out. In fact, I'm going to make him the best 12 hours of my life. So he went home and he told his wife, and after the shock, they both agreed that this is going to be the best 12 hours of any life that could be lived. So they put on their nicest clothes. They went out to a really nice little happy hour, had some drinks. Then afterwards, they went to a five-star Michelin-rated restaurant, had the most amazing meal they've ever had. Then after that, they went and took in a Broadway show. And they were just having the time of their life, not letting this, this, this ominous end come into their thinking. And then after the Broadway show, late that night, they went out and they had a little nightcap. They had a, they had a couple of drinks and just really, really enjoyed everything, reminiscing. And, and it was just such a great night. It was better than they could have imagined. They went home and the wife immediately went upstairs and got ready for bed, got in bed and fell asleep. Well, as you could imagine, the husband was a little bothered by that. And so he went up there and he woke up his wife and he said, Honey, uh, I was hoping that maybe we could have some romance tonight. I mean, after all, it is my last night on earth. And she said, Yeah, but you don't have to get up in the morning. <laughs> it's a hard lesson, but that man discovered that that last day wasn't only about him. Neither is discipleship. In fact, discipleship is about more than you. It's about more than just personal growth. We're going to look at John 15. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time to be together and for the incredible worship, God, that we had. I so appreciate the brothers and the sisters that worship, lead our worship Thank you that they are trying new things, that they do different things, that their worship, that time is really important. And thank you that we could spend time connecting with you in song and scripture reading and prayer. And then, Father, thank you for such good news. Thank you for victory stories like the baptisms today, like, like Tony and Candace and, the, and their desire to give back. And there's just so much good going on. It's so awesome to be a part of such a great fellowship. Thank you 
I pray, God, right now that our hearts open up to you, that we examine your word this morning, that we get inspired by your word, and God, that we walk out of here excited about what discipleship really is, that we're able to put aside some of the old uh, ideas we may have had, whether they were, uh, you know, especially the ones that might have been negative, and that we're able to look forward into a new idea in, 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 in our new perspective on what discipleship really is, as you defined it for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to look at John chapter 15. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to. You remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my Disciples. Great passage of Scripture. The story here is, it's literally the last hours of Jesus' life. I don't know if it's the last 12, but it's within that time frame. And he has celebrated his final supper, the last supper, the the, the last Passover meal that he was going to have on earth with his close friends, his disciples, the 12 disciples. Uh, apostles. There they were in this upper room in the city of Jerusalem. And after the meal, they decided to leave and head towards the Garden of Gethsemane. As they, as they did that, they would have to ch- pass through the city of Jerusalem and pass the temple, the center and, and nexus of all the Jewish faith and, and, and life and everything. And it was, it was a beautiful, magnificent, incredible structure. And as they walked past it, they would have passed the main entrance. And over the main entrance of the temple, was a sculpture encrusted in gold of a grape cluster. Now the grape cluster, the vine and the grapes and the branches and the cluster, was the symbol, it was the logo, for lack of a better word, of the Jewish people. They were God's vineyard as they saw themselves. Now Jesus cannot pass up an opportunity, even in his last hours, he cannot pass up an opportunity to teach something to his disciples, and he specifically starts talking about this sculpture, this grapevine that they're passing by, that they're looking at. You know, I I feel sometimes like Jesus. I read the Bible, and there's times where I go, man, I can't help pass this one up. i got to talk about this one. And so today, we're going to talk about Jesus' teaching here in John 15 about this grape cluster, and what does it mean, and how does it relate in the context of discipleship. But I always like a little bit of feedback. I like a little bit of audience participation. Yes? And so I'm going to ask you a question, and then you can just, wherever you are, shout out whatever answer, you know, that relates to you as you, as you hear the question. And the, and the question I want to ask you is, when you read this passage, or you hear me read it, what about this teaching stands out to you? Yes? To remain in Him. To remain in Him. He says it a lot. He says it a lot. Yes? 
To be connected to him, yes? The, the branch has got to be connected to the vine. That's right. Yes? You have to grow. You have to grow. One more. Yes? Bear fruit. Bear fruit. You know, it's pretty obvious, but 14 different times, I've underlined them on the screen here, the word fruit or bear fruit or remain is used in these few verses. 14 different times. It's so funny because when I used to read this passage years ago, I would read it and the only thing that I would notice is that some branches would be picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. That's the only thing that popped out to me. And so I was always afraid of this story because it was like, I don't want to be the branch that gets burned, right? I was always afraid. I've been burned before. I don't want to get burned again. And so... Thank God I actually stopped and spent some time understanding this passage because that's actually not what the passage is really all about. As you can see, 14 different times the word fruit and remain are mentioned. This passage is about remaining in Jesus and bearing fruit for Jesus. That's what it's about. That's the primary focus. That's the emphasis. I can't think of a better way to describe Jesus' brand of discipleship than in those two words. Remain in Him and bear fruit for Him. You see, too often, we associate discipleship solely with personal growth. And we forget that it's also about other people. You know, our mission statement at Simi Church, to love, and li- uh, to love God and to love people, is derived directly from this teaching. And we say both every Sunday because we want to remind ourselves that there is the remaining and there is the bearing of fruit. It is about our walk with God, but it's also about our relationships with other people. They're two sides of the same coin. So let me ask one more question. What does remaining or bearing fruit mean to you? Providing for other people. Providing for other people. Yes. Commitment. Passion. One more. Trust. Trust. All good answers. There's no bad answer here, but there are two things that come to my mind. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. 
When I think about remaining in Jesus, I think about this passage. Now, it's interesting to note that this was written by John, the same guy who wrote the earlier passage in the Gospel of John. He happened to be a follower of Jesus. He was with Jesus from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was one of the 12 disciples. He was in the upper room. He was there when Jesus taught on the taught about the sculpture of grapes over, hanging over the, the entrance into the temple. And this, this letter, 1 John, is written many years later, long after Jesus had uh, uh, trained him and then died and then resurrected and then rose back into heaven. And John had been living out his Christianity, his discipleship for a long time. And late in life, he begins to reflect back and he gives us a picture of what remaining in Jesus looks like. And there's three significant little points in this passage that I want to draw out today. The first one is in verses 6 and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. The first thing that I see in John's explanation of what it means to remain in Jesus, that side of discipleship, it's to be like Jesus. That's where it starts, to love and to live as Jesus did. That's the starting point. The second thing is found in verses 8 and 9. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. As you know, and as I know, the call to be like Jesus, to love and live like Jesus, is not easy. Jesus was actually perfect. And at last count, I've never heard of anyone else who's perfect. Which means that even the best of us who are trying to follow Jesus are going to fail at it. We're going to fall short. And what John is really telling us in these two verses, it sounds like a lot, but it really can be summarized in, admit it when you don't. <laughs> That's really what John's talking about here. <clears throat> what does it mean to remain in Jesus? It's to be like Jesus. It's also to admit it when we're not. You ever around someone who doesn't admit when they fall short? The third thing, verse 10. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. The final thing, when John describes discipleship and what it means to remain in Jesus, the last thing he says is you got to stay connected. You never give up. Stay the course. And so what does it mean to remain in Jesus? Be like Jesus. Admit it when you aren't, and don't give up. You know, it doesn't sound so bad when we sort of translate it into our language, does it? I mean, I read that, and it's very intense, and it's wonderful and awesome, but i got to do a little work there to kind of understand it, update it for my language, and when I do, I go, hey, that's not so bad. I would like to be like Jesus. I, 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 people around me would like me to be more like Jesus. The people around you would like to be more like you to be more like Jesus, right? And when you're not, you gotta come clean with it. You gotta admit it. But then you don't quit. You don't throw in the towel. You just stay the course. That's it. That's what it means 
to remain in him. He asks, all he is asking of us is to love and live like he did, admit it when we don't, and to stay connected. Now, the big question is why? Why do we remain in Jesus? Well, because discipleship isn't only about you. It's about other people. Now I want to show you another passage. John chapter 1. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you going? Or where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. So we are still with the same author. This is John, who was there with the twelve when they were from the beginning of of Jesus' ministry all the way through the end. And then this is the same John who wrote 1 John. And we're now going back into the Gospel of John, and we're getting his uh, account of what the early days of Jesus were like. And it all started just outside of uh, uh, Galilee, down in an area called Perea, where John the Baptist was preaching. And one day, Jesus came down there to be baptized by John, and John started telling his followers, oh, that's the guy you need to follow now. John was passing the torch to Jesus. And when John told that to Andrew, the first thing Andrew did was what? He went and told his brother Peter. The next day, Jesus bumped into Philip and he said, Hey, Philip, why don't you follow me? And what did Philip do? He went and told Nathaniel. And the truth is, these guys never stopped going and telling the next person until the day they died. The picture is, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, discipleship was also about telling other people. It was about passing on what you know to the next person, or what you've learned. So if I understand John right, what he's telling me here is that discipleship simply meant, or bearing fruit, simply meant to tell everyone you know. I think we get too much into this. I think we spend too much time trying to explain what bearing fruit is. I think we get too caught up in the, well, there's the fruits of the Spirit, and bearing fruit means to be patient or noble or kind. Yes, but those are also part of the growing in Christ. That's also part of the the part of discipleship that has to do with remaining in him. To me, it's very clear from the beginning, bearing fruit meant telling other people about Jesus. 
You cannot have one without the other when you decide to follow Jesus. You cannot remain and not bear fruit. You cannot not bear fruit and not remain. You follow me? They go together. But I want you to notice here that these guys started telling who? They started telling the people they knew. You know, no significant conversation can occur unless you have two people's permission. And when it comes to telling somebody about Jesus, it's awfully hard to tell a complete stranger who doesn't know you from Adam or Eve. And so it's very hard to get that level of trust and openness and, and, and uh, connection in that setting. But when it comes to telling someone who you already know, there's already some groundwork for credibility. There's already a relationship there, and there's already a reason for that person to want to hear what you have to say. And so even though this may sound slow, it may sound inefficient. I mean, after all, Jesus, why don't you take out a Super Bowl ad? I mean, come on. You can get a hundred bazillion people all at once right there. Or come on, Jesus, get a gospel blimp and fly it around the globe 10 times, right? Come on, Jesus, do some sign in the sky. It is true that that would get a lot of people's attention. It would get a lot of people looking at it. But without the, the credibility, without the, but without the connection to a person you consider credible, there's a gap between that sign and your connection to it. And that's where people come in. That's where discipleship comes in. The bearing fruit side of discipleship. We are filling the gap between this person and their first experience of Jesus and what an experience of Jesus is really like. We're the bridge. And you might say, well, gosh, that sounds like really slow. I mean, that's slow and meticulous form of marketing. But I'm going to tell you something. It's actually incredibly effective. One last question. Who here is a believer because they came to faith in Jesus all on their own? I'm doing this as an example. It's not me. <laughs> yeah, not one hand has gone up. No one comes to faith unless there's someone who communicates the message to them. Someone that they have some sort of relationship with. Now, I think you, you know this, and you're thinking, okay, Joe, why are you wasting so much air on this point? And I, I, I hear you, but I, I want to drive something home because I think we kind of know it, but we don't really know it. I think we think of evangelism as going out there and knocking on doors and meeting as many people as we possibly can, inviting everybody everywhere we go, or going to a third world country or doing something like that, or some story where you were in the supermarket and you were talking to the clerk and somebody else overheard and then the, the manager came in, went on the loudspeaker and asked everybody to believe in Jesus right there in the store and there was this amazing conversion of everybody, all got baptized in the, in the water aisle or whatever it is. <laughs> That's, I think, what we think conversion is all about. Bearing fruit is all about. We want the story. We're all grown up. I mean, we want the sexy story, don't we? Like, we want, the, we want that. But the truth is, 
Evangelism occurs. Bearing fruit occurs when Anthony Evans is invited to church by his nephew, or brother-in-law, sorry, brother-in-law. And then he invites his wife to church. And then their two kids are raised in the church and they become disciples. That is the norm, and that is actually the most effective method possible. Because the relationships are there. The credibility is established. And that, that plan that Jesus rolled out with his early disciples there down in Perea, everybody's cruising around, John the Baptist is there, there's a buzz going on, and they start telling each other, hey, I think Jesus, you know, Jesus is the guy. And that word of mouth starts to spread. That's the actual plan for bearing fruit. That's the norm. But we easily want to get dazzled by some great story. Praise God for great stories. But praise God for relationships that bear fruit. They're so much more productive. They're so much more effective. And they last a lot longer. You could call it word of mouth. I'm Sicilian, so I call it, hey, I know a guy. (laughs) That's Jesus' brand of bearing fruit. Hey, I know a guy. You're at work, your coworker talking about a difficult time, your, your friend at school is opening up, wondering about interesting subjects, considering life. Hey, I know a guy. And they listen because they know you. If I was to give you, if I had the ability to give any one of you 15 minutes to get on a phone and be broadcast over the entire globe, and all 7 billion people on the planet heard you give your testimony for 15 minutes. Maybe 10 people would listen. And it would be the 10 people who know you. Otherwise, you're just another person. I mean, if you don't believe me, it is happening now. The mass media, the the name of Jesus is broadcast all over the world all the time. And that's a great thing. I'm not down on it. It's awesome. But is it really converting people to becoming followers of Jesus? No, they've got to find someone to be that bridge. There's got to be a relationship that connects them to the next step. Discipleship is as much about remaining in Jesus as it is about bearing fruit. Let me show you a graph that I think will really drive home this point. So we have this graph, and on the left side, we have personal growth of remaining in Jesus, and on the bottom, we have personal mission and fruit. These are the two hallmarks of Jesus' style of discipleship, taken from John 15. Now, all of us start out immature. To make this relatable, to show you how hip I really am, we call these people noobs. Noobs. 
<laughs> At some point, we're all noobs in the faith. Now, you're a young noob, and you're excited about your faith in Jesus, and all you do is decide to focus on growing and remaining in Jesus. And so you do that day in and day out, and you're pouring through scriptures, and it's all about you and your growth and, and getting connected to Jesus, and you turn into a self-righteous person. Again, for those of you that are cool, we call these people prima donnas. You ever meet a prima donna? And they just talk about how great they are and everything they do and how awesome this is. And it's all about them. So we go the other way. We all are noobs. And this time we think, I'm just going to go out there and tell everybody about Jesus, but I don't even read my Bible. I don't even know anything else other than his name is Jesus. And so I go that route and I become a hypocrite. For those of us that are in the know, we call these people posers. Hey, <laughs> we're posers. These are people who think they're doing something, but they really, they don't have the background. They don't have the, the connection to Jesus really to make much difference. They're just posers. That's all they are. But we have another option. We have someone who decides to balance the two and they become mature. Doesn't that just sound good? I want to be mature. Some people use the word adulting. We grow up. We become mature. It's this balance between growth and mission, between remaining in Jesus and personal fruit. You know what we call these people? One of the guys shouted out for me. What do we call them? MLGs. Yep. Major League Gamers. These guys have game. Don't you want to have game? You know, your, your Facebook tag can say, Jacob, MLG. I'm a Major League Gamer. That is what I want to be. That is where I'm targeting myself. I want to be that. I don't want to be a prima donna. I don't want to be a poser. I want to be a major league gamer. Amen? And I get there through a process Jesus called discipleship. It's a balance, isn't it? It's a balance. There's the remaining... And there's the bearing fruit. There's the personal growth and the personal mission. As someone who has been at this over 20 years, I can tell you that I have swung that pendulum rapidly between those two ends. I've been a prima donna. I've been a poser. I'm guilty. But I'm never more happy and I'm never more effective than when I'm right down the middle and I'm in balance, I'm mature. I believe this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, remain in me and bear fruit. He discipled 12 men directly, and he indirectly discipled countless more. And within a generation, those people changed their world. 
by simply trying to remain in balance, by simply trying to be a disciple the way Jesus described a disciple, by simply trying to to find the balance between growth and mission, remain in fruit, those 12 guys changed the world. In 2019, I am committed to Jesus' brand of discipleship. It's where I want to go. Finding this balance, personal growth, personal mission, and I am inviting you to come with me. I think it's going to be one of the greatest years on record in our faith in our walk with God, whether you're starting out or whether you've been at this for a long time, if you can just strike this balance, if you can just frame it like this, I believe 2019 will be the year that you're hoping for. The miracles will happen. The growth will come. It's where I want to go. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to launch a new evangelistic vision. We started with talking about, or last week, we, talked, well, we started talking about worship and how that goes with us everywhere we are, that it's viral now. Then we talked about partnership and how God wants to partner with us. And now we're concluding with this idea of discipleship, this idea of being in balance, personal mission, personal fruit. I believe that we're ready as a church now to launch something new. A new vision evangelistically. I call it a vision because this is not a strategy. It's not a plan. It's not a campaign. It actually needs to be part of our DNA as believers. It's part of our DNA as a church. You can have plans, you can have strategies, you can have vision, um, campaigns. I'm not, whatever. That's, that's your deal. But where I'm headed is painting a new picture. Casting a new vision evangelistically for our church, for our fellowship. And the, the vision is called oikos. You've heard this phrase before, oikos. It's, it's a Greek word, and it means, English, it means household in English or people, or community. The idea is, is that when you read Scripture, and you're going to see this a lot as we talk about it more, in Scripture, almost always, you see about someone encountering Jesus, and then they go home to their oikos. They go home to their household. They go home to their people. They go home to their community, and they begin to tell them about what Jesus did for them. And that was how it spread. That was the plan. That was the strategy. That was the campaign method. Oikos. It was just a way of being. It was a way of living. It was the vision that Jesus cast for us. And when you really think about it, it's the most compelling vision because the people I care about the most are the people who are in my household. And if there's anybody that I want to see saved and brought to a knowledge, a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, it's the people I love the most, the people that are in my world, the people that live in my community, in my household. And I start there. Now listen, 
If you're on a bus and you're taking from point A to point B and a person sits down next to you and they, they start sobbing and you're thinking, man, you know, I'm only on here for another block or two, but maybe I should say something. So you ask them, hey, uh, you okay? And they start talking and they say to you, I'm so lost. I'm trying to find God. I can't find God. Can you help me? And you say to them, no, sorry, I don't know you. You're not in my oikos. It's not the point. Don't do that. If that happens, great. But that's not the norm. Ethel and Anthony's kids are not disciples today because they had a random talk with a stranger on a bus. They're disciples today because their parents showed them what faith in Jesus looks like. You're not a disciple today because you were just randomly met. You may have been randomly met, but at some point, someone in that journey, in your journey, communicated Jesus to you. It might have been a grandmother who put the seeds in you long before you even got invited out to church. It might have been a best friend. It might have been someone who you met, but then after a few months of getting to know each other and studying the Bible, the trust was there, and then you made your decision. But there's no one here. Not one who became a Christian by themselves. You never went. This has never happened. You never knocked on someone's door and said, hey, will you get baptized today and become a believer in Jesus and follow him? And they went, okay. So you just went in and baptized them in their bathtub. That's never happened in this room. And if someone says that, don't go in. Because that's usually a sign of some weirdness happening there. Oikos, household, people, community. In other words, what I'm saying is this. And this could be an absolute life changer for you. I believe that God has supernaturally and strategically placed people in my life so that I would bear fruit for Him with them. And the only way that's going to work is if I remain in Him. Because I'll be a poser if I don't. And if I don't ever open up my eyes and see the people God has put right in front of me, then I'm just the prima donna. Because all I'm doing is worrying about me and all the things I'm doing and learning. So the balance is coming to this belief that God has supernaturally and strategically placed those people in your life for a reason. And that reason is to bear fruit for Him with them. And that's why you remain in Him. If we were just to say in our fellowship, I think we have 90 adult members or baptized members, not counting our kids. If we were to assume that all 90 of us had about 10 people, let's just an average of 10. It's probably somewhere between 8 to 15, but let's just say 10. We all have about 10 relationships with people. There's trust there. There's a rapport there. There's a relationship with there. They're not currently following Jesus, or maybe they had followed Jesus, but they've stopped or whatever. But if you were to add them up and identify who they were, 90 times 10 is what? 
900. You see, we're a church of 900. 800 of them don't know it yet. But that's why the 90 do what we do. That's the why. Because we want to see them know Jesus like we know Jesus. So discipleship is much more, is about much more than just personal growth. It's also about people. So my hope for 2019 is that this is the year that we realize discipleship can change our world. We're going to stand. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to enjoy some fellowship. Let's go arm in arm as we've done since the new year.